Hi friends, welcome and thanks for listening to the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week we continued in our new series called Four. Pastor Jen Zerby takes us through Luke chapter 15 and points us towards the words of Jesus himself. In each parable that Jesus tells in this passage, we see that God deeply cares for and relentlessly searches for those who are lost or wandering in this life. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. Well, I've, uh, I've mentioned this before up here, but if you, uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not into anything that's um, scary or creepy or dark or gory or violent. Not only do I not watch scary movies, but I can't even handle all those um, cop and crime investigation shows that the whole world seems so fascinated by. And don't get me started on the super, super concerning trend that women my age are really obsessed with true crime podcasts and the TV show Snapped. You all should be worried about that. But I'm not into that stuff. I can't do it. I find everyday life to have enough unexpected twists and turns and I can't fix or solve half of the problems in my own life on a daily basis, and so I'm, I'm completely unattracted to trying to fix or solve real or fictitious crimes that have nothing to do with me or anyone I know. I don't understand the draw. I never will, but to each his own, I suppose. I say all that because the story that I'm about to share with you is way outside my norm. Typically, a headline about a deceased hiker would be enough for me to just move right along. But for some reason, this time, I found myself reading on. Journalist Michael Bond wrote that one day in October of 2015, a forest surveyor was working in an area of dense woodland in Maine and came across a a collapsed tent hidden in the undergrowth. And he noticed in there a backpack and some clothes and a sleeping bag, and inside the sleeping bag what appeared to be a human skull. He took a photograph and then he hurried from the woods and called his boss and his boss would later say that from what I could see on the location of the map, what I saw in the picture, I was almost certain that it was Jerry Largay. Geraldine Largay was a 66-year-old retired nurse from Tennessee who had gone missing near Reddington in 2013 while attempting to walk the length of the Appalachian Trail. Her disappearance triggered one of the biggest search and rescue operations in the state's history, Over two years, it failed to uncover one single clue. Until this day that the surveyor stumbled upon her camp, no one had any idea what had become of her. This had been Jerry's dream trip. She had set off with a friend named Jane on April 23rd of 2013. They had help. Jerry's husband, George, was shadowing them in his car along the way, resupplying them at these prearranged locations and then occasionally taking them to a hotel for rest. They made really good progress, and by the end of June, they were in New Hampshire when a family emergency forced her friend Jane to return home, but, but Jerry carried on alone. She was slow, managing about a mile an hour, and she adopted the trail name Inchworm in recognition of the pace she went. Her sense of direction wasn't great, but she was well-equipped. She was a meticulous planner. She always knew where and how to find water and sheltered, and her gregariousness and warmth won her many friends from fellow hikers. 
45 minutes after leaving Poplar Ridge, Jerry texted George to tell him she was on her way. They had arranged to meet at a road crossing 21 miles up the trail that particular day. And the first that anyone knew that something was wrong was when she didn't show up for that rendezvous with her husband. George waited the rest of the day and then alerted the warden service, which instigated its well-rehearsed lost person procedure. Over the following weeks, hundreds of professional rescuers and trained volunteers searched the woods around Reddington. They found nothing. No shred of clothing, no sign of a camp. The investigation and many of the searchers carried on for 26 months. The day after the surveyor's discovery, they retrieved the remains of her camp and they went through her phone records and her journal, which she had wrapped in a watertight bag, and they tried to piece together what had happened. They learned that she had left the trail during the morning of July 22nd, a few miles from the Poplar Ridge shelter to go to the bathroom and couldn't find her way back. They realized that more than likely she had walked no more than 80 steps into the woods. Disoriented and tangled in the trees and the brush, she started wandering. At 11.01 a.m., she sent a text to George, but there was no cell phone coverage. And so neither that or subsequent texts got through. The following afternoon, she tried again, lost since yesterday, off trail three or four miles, she thought. Call police, not sure what to do. That night, she pitched her tent on the highest ground that she could, and she heard the spotter planes and helicopters looking for her and did her best to be seen. She tried to light a fire. She draped her reflective emergency blanket on a tree, and she waited. She survived 19 days on her own in the wilderness before succumbing to the effects of exposure. She did not know that a dog team had passed within 100 yards of her, that her campsite was less than half a mile from the trail as the crow flies, or that if she had just walked downhill, she would have soon reached a railroad track that would have taken her in either direction straight out of the woods. Well, I'm, I am sorry on the one hand to begin my message this morning with such a sad story. I was so drawn to the ending Obviously not the part where she passed away, but the reality that all it took was 80 steps. She was a seasoned, trained, intelligent, meticulous hiker. She had all of the necessary knowledge. She had all of the proper gear. She had all of the right safety measures in place, including meetups with her husband each day. She had everything that she needed to be successful, and a mere 80 steps changed everything. 80 slow and calculated steps off the trail, and she entirely lost her way to such a degree that she never made it out alive. She was lost to the point of death, all while never knowing how close she was to not being lost. It's such a heartbreaking story. This morning, we are in week two of a three-week series that we are calling Four, F-O-R, where in a, in a culture that loves to focus on all of the things that we are against, we want to spend some time talking about the things that God is for. Rather than the world hearing about all of the things that God is against and all of the things and people that, God are, that God's people are against, we want to draw closer to the heart of God, to understand the things that matter most to God so that those of us who are trying our best in this life to emulate Jesus are able to understand what matters to him. 
And so last week we had the chance to talk about God's heart for the marginalized and how other than himself and his kingdom, there is nothing that God spoke about more in scripture than his heart for the marginalized, those on the fringes of society, those whom our culture oppresses and makes an other. While I didn't choose to talk about the marginalized on Martin Luther King Day, I do not know. That was poor planning on my part, but (laughs) there it is. There's no better way, in my opinion, to get to know the heart of God and what is closest to the heart of God than through God's word. It's why, even though it's not very academic of me, I realize I really like red-letter Bibles. For those of you who don't know what that means, there are there are, Bibles, there are Bibles that are printed in black font like, like all other Bibles for the most part, but anything that Jesus said is written in red font. Now, it's not that you don't want to pay attention to the rest of the book. It's pretty important. But if you're somebody who's trying to choose to follow Christ, you're especially going to want to pay attention to those things that are written in red. And today is a red letter kind of day. One of those days where the text consists exclusively of things that came right out of the mouth of Jesus while he was here on earth, trying to teach us why he came and who and what he came here for. And in addition to the marginalized, there is another people, another group of people close to the heart of God. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, Jesus gets into a conversation with a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is one of the most hated men in the whole entire town because he's not only a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector, which meant that he had probably cheated and exploited most everyone in that town for his own gain. So Jesus was in this town called Jericho, and Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, but he was a tiny, short man, and he couldn't see over the crowds, and so he climbed up into a sycamore tree. How many of you are singing that song right now in your head? knew it. Just sing it out. Let it go. It's fine. Get that out of your brain. For those of you who are new to church, there's an old um, church song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man climbing up into a sycamore tree, and that's what's in the head of all of the um, old church people right now. Not calling you old in age, just that you've been around a while. So Zacchaeus is climbing up on this tree to get a better look at Jesus, and Jesus invites Zacchaeus to come down And then Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Now, we assume, moved by the Spirit, that Zacchaeus confesses to Jesus that he has cheated everyone out of money. And Zacchaeus vows to pay them back four times what he stole. And in response to this major life moment that Zacchaeus is experiencing, look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus put on human skin and move into the neighborhood as one of us? It wasn't just for purposes of dying on a cross so that we could experience eternal life. He also came to teach us how to live here and now as well. He came to seek and to save the lost. He said it himself. So, who are the lost? 
I've been thinking a lot about that this week. Who, who are the lost? If you're here this morning or watching online and you're unfamiliar with this, with this term, or you're brand new to this kind of whole Jesus thing, you may not know that the church historically has a name for you. If you're somebody who has not made a decision to say yes to Jesus, the church has historically called you lost. I'm not sure if you know that or not, and I probably broke some kind of church code by telling you that, but I just thought that you should know. And maybe that offends some of you who are sitting here going, uh, hi, I'm right here. I'm not lost at all. I know who I am, and I know where I am, and I'm just fine the way that I am. Thank you so much. And that's okay. I'm not here to label anybody, and I'm not here to categorize anyone or decide for you whether you are lost or not. I just want to be able to speak openly about what Jesus meant when he said that he came to seek and save the lost. Because I think it applies to a lot more of us than we think. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Jesus, when he spent time teaching, he liked to teach using these stories. In scripture, we call them parables. He knew that we are a people of story. We have our own stories. We live in this larger story. We are drawn to people's stories. And so it makes sense that Jesus would teach in a way that we are most likely to understand. In the Gospel of Luke, there are three different stories in the same chapter, in chapter 15, that are referred to as the lost parables. They're referred to that way not because they ever went missing, but because they are three successive stories that speak to Jesus' heart for the lost. And so we're going to spend time looking at all three of those stories this morning, kind of quickly, to help us understand God's heart for the lost. Now, the reality is that each one of these stories very easily could be its own sermon. And so I want to be clear that we're not doing a a deep dive into this text. We're kind of doing a a 30,000-foot view of Jesus' understanding of the lost, We're not going kind of word word by word, if that makes sense. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. There's Bibles in front of you. The text will be up on the screen, or you're welcome just to listen as I read. We're going to look at the first story in chapter 15 called the parable of the lost sheep. Starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners. And eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable or story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, we don't live in a culture anymore where this story resonates with a whole lot of us. None of us are shepherds. I'm guessing that most of us don't know shepherds. I say most because we are in DeKalb. Who knows? (laughs) Anything's possible out here. I don't know the first thing about sheep. In my mind, when I read this story, it seems absurd to me. In my mind, if I'm out in a huge giant field and I have a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, best of luck. (laughs) Right. Just being honest. Thank God I'm not a shepherd. Well, I guess I am a shepherd. Well, we'll talk about that a little later. (laughs) You should all be real concerned right now. (laughs) 
I should close up shop and go home. I can't get out of this hole. Most shepherds love their sheep. Most shepherds care for their sheep, which is true in the story. These sheep would be their entire livelihood, but, but shepherds are generally caring, loving people whose livestock matter to them, right? If you're at Disneyland and you have four kids and one of them wanders off, you're not like, oh, I still got three other ones. Good enough, right? You would do anything to find your lost child. So would, well, most shepherds. <laughs> most shepherds would do that. And so in the first parable, we are, we are to quickly glean from this that Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in the Gospel of John, by the way. Jesus is the shepherd, and who are his sheep? It says in here that his sheep are sinners. That's what it says in verse 7. And sometimes you read that and you're like, gross, sinners. That's like an Old, Old Testament churchy thing. But here's the deal. Despite the fact that the church has used that word to manipulate and guilt people, the truth is that we can't really spin that word any other way. A sin is something that pulls us away from God. Anything that we choose that isn't of God. Anything we do that isn't for God. And so if it's more palatable for you to call it a mistake or a screw-up or a blunder, I guess that's fine. But sin need not remind you of old-school hellfire and brimstone sermons. I sin all the time. I sin all the time when I choose things other than God's way. Plain and simple, that makes me a sinner. And while I know it's not cool to use that word anymore, I don't like to shy away from it. Because scripture also says that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't repent. My ability to acknowledge my sin is part of what allows me to repent or to apologize for my sin. And when I do that, there's rejoicing in heaven. And I want to be a part of that party. Why did Jesus come here? To seek and save the lost. The good shepherd cares so much about his sheep that he would leave the 99 to go find the one. This is not a story about how much you have left. Thank God. This is not a story about having 99 left behind you. This is a story about the value of every single individual sheep. Friends, this is a story about how much you matter to the heart of God. It's an incredible story, but we still have two more to get to, so hang on. That's the story of the lost sheep. Go back to Luke 15. We're going to start up again in verse 8. This is called the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So I get it again in our culture. This text is a little difficult for us to understand because these days if I dropped silver coins, like some dimes, I'm now, I'm now kind of weighing the consequences of losing a dollar versus bending over. <laughs> right? More than likely, the coins are staying on the ground. But this story isn't the equivalent of a woman in today's society losing a dollar and change. Right? In Greek, she lost 10 drachmas, each of which were worth an entire day's wage. 
So this would have been roughly the equivalent of not losing a dollar, but losing a paycheck. How many of us can afford to just let a paycheck go missing these days? Eggs are like eight bucks a dozen right now, aren't they? We're not going to walk away from a paycheck these days. And this woman would have lived in a home that had a dirt floor. If you've ever been in in an uh, an underdeveloped country, maybe you've seen one of those homes that are made of dirt. They have dirt floors. The very outsides of the home uh, are light where the windows are, but the further into the house you get, the darker it becomes. So dirt floors, it's pretty dark in there. And so when this text says that this woman who lost her coins would use a lamp and sweep the house, it's trying to tell you the lengths that she would go to to find these coins. It doesn't mean that she would sweep the house with a broom. It means she would sweep the house like a forensics team, searching for evidence. It isn't about all of the other things that she has in her home. It's about the value of the thing that she, was, that she lost. Friends, this story is about how much you matter to the heart of God. And then finally, the last story from Luke 15, starting at verse 8. This is called the parable of the lost son. It should be called the parable of the lost sons. But we don't have time to get into all of that right now. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off on a distant country, and and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became so angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
And so there's one lost sheep, and there's some lost coins, and there's a lost son or two. Sometimes I wonder why Jesus felt the need to use three different stories back to back like this to convey his point. Right? After the third one, you're like, okay, we get it, Jesus. You came to seek the lost. We get the point. But the truth is that we all have different life experiences and we all come from different backgrounds. And it, it makes sense that Jesus would use three different stories to convey the same message in hopes that at least one of them might connect to each one of us. And really, getting, getting lost Getting lost happens in lots of different ways for each of us. And I believe this, these stories speak to that as well. Now, I don't fancy myself a biblical scholar, and maybe I'm stretching these stories in ways they weren't meant to be stretched. But it's hard for me to not relate each one of these stories, each one of these lost things in the stories, to different ways that we find ourselves lost. The coins got lost. It wasn't their fault. They didn't wander away. They didn't hide or run off. The coins were dropped. And this life can be difficult. And while I think it is dangerous and and unhelpful to permanently live in some kind of state of victim mentality, sometimes things do happen to us that are not within our control. Like coins that somebody else dropped, we endure the consequences of other people's actions. And now we are where we are. It wasn't our choice to be far from God. It's just that we kind of rode the tide of life and life dumped us here. Partly the consequences of somebody else's actions and partly the consequences of what we did with those actions. And so if that is you, you need to hear this morning that Jesus is looking for you. That he is pursuing you that God's heart is for you and that he wants to be with you. You need to know that God's heart breaks over the brokenness of this world and that God weeps with you over the things that break your heart and your body and your life. In other times in this life, we're like the son that left home. We knew what we were walking away from or we knew that we were walking away from something. We wanted to strike out on our own. Maybe the church hurt us. Maybe our family hurt us. Maybe we just felt the need to go off and explore all by ourselves. And once we got a taste of freedom, we liked it so much. Because for a little while, it can feel like there are no consequences to our actions, but there always are, and they will always catch up to us eventually. If you are that son, you've intentionally wandered away from God, then I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus is looking for you. He is pursuing you. God's heart is for you. And he wants to be with you. God can handle your anger and God can handle your skepticism. God can even handle your unbelief. And yet Jesus still pursues you. Maybe some of you, especially those of you who have been in the church for a long time, maybe you feel like the oldest brother. You've been doing all the right things. You've followed all the rules. You've come to church regularly, but deep down there's a distance between you and God. You know he's there. You've done all the things that you think God wanted you to do, but there's anger or bitterness deep down. Your life hasn't turned out the way that you thought, or maybe you're sick of trying to pretend that you're perfect or that things are perfect. You're sick of holding everybody else up. You're tired of being the one that has it all together. You're sick of playing the part 
while your brother is off loving life and living with no consequences? If that's you, I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus is looking for you. And God is for you and wants to be with you. And everything that God has has always been readily available to you. But maybe you've allowed your anger or hurt to get in the way of your accessing the abundant life that God has for you. And we can only access that life when our eyes are on God and not on what others have. Or maybe you're like the sheep. And I save this one to last because I kind of think it's the easiest one to relate to. No further offense intended, of course, but sheep are pretty stupid. (laughs) They're pack animals. They just kind of tend to go along with the herd. They do the same thing day after day. Usually when sheep wander off, it wasn't with intention. They just took a step away, and then another, and then it was too late. Maybe for us, those seasons of life when we found ourselves lost, it wasn't because there was some kind of sudden trauma or tragedy, and it wasn't because we made some big, bold decision to run away, and it wasn't because we're slowly rotting in our own bitterness. I really think that most of us were more like that hiker from Maine. We came as prepared as we thought we could be. We thought we were ready to tackle what was before us. We had planned and prepared. We even had people journeying with us on our good days. We did everything that we were supposed to do, but then we just veered off the path just a little and just for a second. We made that one life decision or that series of small decisions to just veer a little. Initially, we could still see the path. And then in that first moment where we suddenly couldn't see the path anymore, we convinced ourselves that we still knew where it was. And we convinced ourselves that we could get back to it anytime we wanted to. When suddenly we looked around and realized that we are not where we thought we were and that we are not where we were meant to be. We are lost. We don't recognize anything around us anymore, and we're not even sure how we got here. We just took a few steps off the path. All it took was 80 steps. 80 steps for a seasoned, trained, prepared hiker like Jerry to wander off the path enough so that she could not find her way back. It takes so few steps for us prepared as we think we are to wander away from God's best for us, even if we didn't mean to wander, or even if we knew we were venturing off, but just a little, and just for a moment, we always think we're fine until we're not. Some of us haven't convinced ourselves that we're okay where we are. Don't worry about me, I got this. I know that the brush is thick, and I know that the trail is gone, but I'm sure that I could still find the path if I really wanted to, I know I'm going at this alone, and I know that I've run out of resources and that my chances of survival probably aren't great, but I'm okay, I got this all by myself. And some of us have convinced ourselves that we're not worth coming after. It was our fault we wandered. We caused so much damage along the way. We're better off alone, or the world is better off without us, or we've swallowed lies about ourselves that we just don't believe that we are worth saving. There's 99 other sheep. I'm sure nobody's going to notice that I'm missing. And so I guess as a preacher, this is where I could go down the road of telling you that we're all sinners and it's time for you to repent and to turn from your selfish, evil ways and come back to Jesus. And I do believe that we're all sinners. 
And I do believe that great freedom lies on the other side of confession and repentance. And I pray that we would all come to know that freedom. But if I'm being honest, what I really want to say to you this morning is this. It doesn't matter how far off the path you are or what happened that got you there. It doesn't matter if it was somebody else's fault or your own or a combination of the two. It doesn't matter if you wandered off the path just this morning or if you have been out in the thicket all by yourself for decades. It doesn't matter if you're angry or bitter or rageful or hurt or scared or sad or just plain complacent. It doesn't matter if you're overconfident or if you don't think you're worth saving. It doesn't matter if you are certain that God could find you or skeptical that God would ever look for you at all. What I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus told these stories for you. Because to Jesus, you are worth more than one missing sheep among the 99. And to Jesus, you are worth more than the silver coins to a poor person. And to Jesus, whether you are the oldest son who grew bitter or the younger son who grew discontent, Jesus will come running to you every single time. Arms open, unconditional invitation, unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. If you are here this morning or you're listening online and you are feeling lost to whatever degree, for whatever reason, you need to know that Jesus right now is relentlessly pursuing you and that he will never give up on you. That the good shepherd cares for you and calls you by name. That like when the woman who found her coin, there is a celebration waiting for you. That like a prodigal son, there is a father running towards you with open arms. Friends, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I'm not trying to manipulate you or guilt you. I'm not here to tug at your emotions or to try to make you feel a certain type of way. I do what I do. We do what we do here at Hillcrest because we have all been lost. I know what it is to walk away on purpose, and I know what it is to unintentionally wander. I have found myself lost because of things that were out of my control, things that happened to me, and I have found myself lost because of choices that I have made. I know what it is to think that I am headed in a certain direction and to take just a few steps off the path for just a second, only to find myself so lost and too proud to ask for help. And I know what it is to feel unworthy of being found at all. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm telling you this morning that I know the heart of Jesus to be true because I have experienced it myself. I know what it is to feel and to be found because I am both of those things, because of Jesus. No hellfire and brimstone, no guilt, no shame. Just an honest, sincere invitation from the one who made you and the only one who can save you. Let's pray together. God, we live in this culture where we're supposed to know how to do everything on our own and we're expected to. We're supposed to know what we want to be when we're 18 and we're never supposed to veer off the path from there. We're always supposed to know the way. 
We're surrounded by resources that are supposed to help us, and yet we're still told we're supposed to do it all alone. And so God, I am positive that there are many listening this morning and many here this morning who are lost. Some of us chose to walk away from you. Some of us found ourselves unintentionally far away from you. I thank you, Lord, for these stories this morning and for the reminder that they are, that you came for us, that you came to seek and save the lost. It isn't just about eternal life in heaven with you someday, although we are so grateful for that, but you came to seek and save us now. You came to help give us an identity now, to help us know that we are found, to help us know our value and our worth now. And so, Lord, for those of us who are too proud right now to ask for help, or too skeptical to believe that you're coming for us, or too lost to believe that we're worth it, would you speak to and soften our hearts right now? God, may every single person in this room and listening hear you call us by name. Help us to know, Lord, of your love for us. And that if we were the only one left, you still would have come for us. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.